0: Well, good morning. Honored to be with you today. And so if you will, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, That's where we're going to be. As many of you know, we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, And as Justin mentioned, we are just a couple weeks away from Easter. And so today we're going to look at the story of the Last Supper uh, and take the Lord's Supper together as a church family. But a couple of things. Number one, put your hand up in the air. Pat yourself on the back. All right, way to get here at 8 a.m., all right, the week after spring break for many of you. Uh, my crew, we were over in Gatlinburg this week, had a great time, wasn't very restful, but a wonderful time together. And I know that a lot of you are here for a couple of different reasons uh, at 8 a.m. Some of you are here because you knew we needed capacity at 9 and 11. Uh, and so thank you for making that shift. I know a lot of you in this room are leaders, and so you're getting ready to serve uh, in one of the consecutive hours. And so know how grateful I am as a leader in our church for your service. Uh, and that you've made the commitment to get up here and be here early in the morning. And so uh, one of our favorite topics to talk about always is the subject of food. Can I get an amen? Now, I know a lot of you, right, you're, you just grab something quick for breakfast today, but in about an hour, an hour and a half, that stomach's going to start growling, Right. I grew up in a home in which Sunday dinner was our biggest meal of the week. As a matter of fact, I want to put up a picture on the screen for you of what Sunday dinner typically looked like in the Strother household growing up. Uh, And so it looked like that. Does that make anybody hungry in here, right? The traditional Sunday pot roast with the potatoes and the carrots. It would simmer in the crock pot and we'd walk in the door after church service. And I had two brothers and man, you better get it while you can, right? Because it's going to be gone in a hurry. And as I got older, I began to realize the importance of those family meal moments. Because it was around that dinner table that a lot of things were shared. Stories were shared. It was the one time we were all busy playing ball, all of my brothers and I running around doing the various things we did. But family meal time was the time when we sat down and we shared stories. We talked about values. I didn't realize at the time how intentional my parents were to bring up certain topics. It was a time that we connected. It was a time and really in which a lot of ways identity was shaped in us. And one of the interesting things about our world today is that we've sped up so much that we miss the importance of family meal time. Here's the next slide that tells you this, that 90% of Americans think that family meals are important in a recent survey. But here's an interesting statistic as well. Uh, The reality is only 40% eat together less than three times a week, and 10% of us never eat family meals together at all. And so when we don't gather around that table, we don't have that opportunity to share stories, to shape identity, to talk about what matters most, about how our days has been. One of the things that's fascinating to me in the Bible is that all throughout Scripture, meals are important. Who you share the meal with, what, what you eat, how you eat it. As a matter of fact, some of the Bible's greatest celebrations of God's redemptive acts are celebrated at meals. And so it's fitting that as Jesus, as we've been looking at the last few weeks, as he had set his face towards Jerusalem, as he knew with every step he took, he was drawing closer to the cross, that Jesus desired, it tells us in the Gospel of Luke, to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. That meal was full of symbolism, as we'll see today. It was full of meaning. It was the identity of God's people celebrated and remembered at a meal. And the fascinating thing that we're going to see today is that Jesus took this meal. He took it as the last meal of the Old Covenant. And he made it as the first meal of the new. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read from Luke, the 22nd chapter Verses 14 through 23. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they begin to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment in which you took the Passover meal and you infused it with radical new meaning and depth for us who are in you. And so God, today, as we come to this moment, as we consider what it cost you and what you knew you would endure for us, God, may it lead us to be fully devoted disciples who recognize the price that you paid And are willing to give our own lives as well for your cause. So open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to you in this place, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. So a couple of things that we want to frame up today. Keep your Bibles handy because I want to go back and pick up the few verses that lead into this one. But as you've seen throughout the past several months, Luke is a brilliant storyteller. Uh, This guy, as a doctor, paid attention to detail. He was an accurate historian. And so when Luke slows down the action, anybody ever seen an action movie before where at the pivotal point they slow down the action? That's what Luke is doing in this moment for us. He doesn't waste a word. He doesn't waste a phrase. There are three key movements that he wants us to see in this moment. And our first point this morning is this. It's a moment of preparation. While things might seem out of control to us, Jesus is in total control. I just spent, as I mentioned, uh, several days in a cabin in Gatlinburg uh, with myself, my wife, my children, uh, one of our best friends from college who they also got married. They have seven children, we have six. It was 13 kids, 17 of us in a cabin, right? Do you know how much preparation it took? It's like moving a small army when you have that many kids and you're trying to cook for that many people and you're trying to plan events and please everybody. I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus. To be able to keep up with all of the details and to be prepared for this moment, so look with me at verse seven in that same chapter. It says, "Then the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed." And so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover." You see, unlike us these days who just run through a fast food place, right? Passover meal. Most meals required incredible, intensely, uh, intensely intentional preparation, and the Passover meal was no exception. As a matter of fact, there was a a careful, deliberate process of preparations that had to be made. And so where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him because they didn't have a, a home within the city walls of Jerusalem. And that's where the Old Testament said Passover had to be prepared. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, the rabbi asks you, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went, and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So obviously Jesus had prearranged the details. Their signal would have been a man carrying a jar of water. That would have been highly unusual because in that era, women did the job of hauling water from one point to the next. And so seeing a man doing it was their signal. And so Jesus not only made the preparations, but he made sure that the disciples knew exactly who to look for. Why all of this care? Well, for one, it hid the location from Judas Iscariot, who was betraying Jesus And not only that, it was the night Passover in which devout Jews were filled with the hope of God's intervention. Exodus 12 talks about this reality. It calls it a night of watching. The Jewish people had been trained and they had this little saying, in that night they were redeemed, remembering the Exodus in which God had brought them out of Egypt. And in that night they will be redeemed. You see, Jesus doesn't miss a detail. He makes all of the connections. Years ago, I came across a fascinating illustration that talked about how many connections are between the Old Testament and the New. Because as New Testament Christians sometimes, right, we're tempted to say, well, the Old Testament, right, that's just kind of the backstory." It's not. It's an important part of the story. All of God's word is inspired, and it's important for us to see those connections. And a pastor had mapped out, get this, 63,779 cross-references between the Old Testament and the New. And this, this passage is full of those connections to help us see everything that Jesus was doing was intentional. Because what we need to recognize and see is that Jesus was not just caught up in some whirlwind of events, right, that led to his untimely death. There's a lot of liberal scholars this Easter season. You'll see advertisements for a lot of bad documentaries on uh, channels like the History Channel and A&E that depict Jesus as this radical revolutionary, which he was in his own way. But he was all of a sudden caught up in the the political, social climate of what was happening in his time, and he was unjustly executed, which is true. But the perception that they will give you is, is that Jesus was just caught up and everything that took place. One of the reasons that Luke writes the way he writes is to give us assurance of this. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down for you and for me. And so don't miss that. Recognize that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him, and yet he did it anyway. Why? Because of his great love for us. As one commentator puts it, Jesus maintained sovereign, premeditated, and detailed mastery. A God who is in control when the foundations of his own earthly existence are crumbling is a God who can be trusted to sustain us when it appears our own life is tumbling in. Do you understand the importance of that? In this moment, Jesus knew what he was going to face. If you and I knew our death was pending, right, that our doom was certain... I don't know about you, but I would be pretty focused on myself. Instead, Jesus is focused on his disciples. He's focused on fulfilling God's word, completing the mission and the assignment that God had given him. What a powerful moment that is for us to realize because let's be honest, for many of you in this room in the past year, it has seemed that things have been spinning out of control. As the pandemic took hold, as we had to adjust what we were doing with church right after we had opened the doors of this incredible facility, as your job situation might have changed, as your family situation was stressed, all of these things led us to believe and to feel sometimes that the world was spinning out of control. And then we had a year of social unrest, of political challenges, of all kinds of divisive things in our culture. And there's always that moment when we're like, God, where are you? Where are you in the middle of all of this? And when we look back on scriptures like this, we begin to realize that there is not a moment that Jesus is not in control, that there is nothing that surprises him or catches him off guard, that you can be sure that no matter what's happening in your life, that God is sovereign and in control because in Jesus's greatest moment of crisis, he was still totally in control. Of all of the details and all of the things that were taking place. Which leads us to point two this morning. Passover. After preparation, of course, came Passover. We call it the Last Supper. But Jesus makes this the first Lord's Supper, as we call it to this day. One of the things that's interesting is, if you go back to the Old Testament and you pull that into this passage, is you realize that this supper, this meal, took place in four parts. Luke either assumes that the audience knows that, those who care, or Luke's gospel, written really for the whole world, right? Luke only includes the the pertinent and the important details. But one of the things that a little Bible study, again, going back to the Old Testament, will teach you is is that there were were four phases to this meal. I want to put up a graphic for you on the screen that depicts what those are, right? There were four cups, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. There were four glasses of wine that were drank at the Passover meal. The first glass would open the meal, and they recited this verse. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It was a reminder that God was the deliverer. And so that was phase one of the meal. Where it says in our text, when the hour came, he reclined at the table. That means they were already several hours into the Passover meal. And so then the second cup, he said to them, I fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. That's cup number two. And that statement, I will rescue you from your slavery. So think about that in line with what is happening in this moment. Jesus is saying, knowing that that this stretches back the redemption story of God to the Old Testament, he's telling you, I will rescue you from your slavery. He took a cup and after giving thanks said, take this and share it among yourselves. For from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so what Jesus does at that moment is he breaks with convention. The Passover was carefully scripted, but he did it to infuse it with this new meaning for you and for me. He takes the bread, which we're going to take in a few moments. He gives thanks and he broke it. That's how Jewish fathers did it. And he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was a reminder that Jesus was going to take into himself in his own body the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins. That Jesus was going to bear that in and of himself. And so to this day, right, for thousands of years, whenever Christians gather, one of the things we do on a consistent basis is remember the price that Jesus paid with his own flesh and blood and his own body for you and for me in order to do what? To rescue us from our slavery. Then in verse 20, we come to the third cup. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. So after the meal with the bitter herbs and the things that they would eat that would remind them of the journey out of Egypt. At that moment, the third cup would be drank. And that cup says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And it's that point that Jesus again departs from the script and he takes that cup and says, this cup is the new covenant. I'm making a new promise with you in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that Jesus doesn't drink the fourth cup. And so there is a cup that is yet to come. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And so for you and I, we live between the third and the fourth cup. If the fourth cup sounds familiar, it's because that's the promise that's fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21. Where God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And so what Jesus does is he ushers in the new covenant. A covenant that will be complete when he returns for a second time. And this is mind blowing to me the way that Jesus threads and connects all of this together for you and for me. And he takes this third cup, the cup of redemption, that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty act of judgment. And what he does for us in that moment is he fulfills the truth that's woven throughout Scripture, that in order for sin to be covered, blood had to be shed. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sin. And as God sends them out of the garden, what does he clothe them with? Animal skins. What had to happen for the for world's first clothing of leather to be made, right? Animals had to die. Something had to die. Blood had to be shed for their sin, their shame, to be covered. And so in a similar way, Jesus is saying, I am going to shed my own blood in order to cover your sin. If that doesn't make your heart beat fast, then I don't know what does. Because that is the gift of God for you and for me. And it stretches from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it leads us to our third point this morning, which is this, prediction. While others conspire against him, Jesus isn't surprised by his betrayal. Now up to this point, I think that there are a lot of things for us, right, that if our our mind is set on a mission and we're bound and determined to do something right, then we can do it. And Jesus has his disciples along with him. But the thing that would cause all of us in this room, the greatest amount of emotional pain, is to be betrayed by those that we love at our most critical moment. And that's exactly what Jesus knows is taking place. The one of his inner circle, the one called Judas, was going to betray him. And so Jesus says, but look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. This phrase son of man, you might want to highlight it or underline it because it's important. I remember when I was a kid in church and I would read that and I would be like, yeah, right, Jesus is the, the son of man, the son of right, Mary and Joseph. And that just means he was fully human. Yes. But Daniel chapter 7 also connects the dots for us, letting us know that this is a prophecy about the one who will do what? The son of man who will rule and reign. And so what Jesus is saying is that I am that man. I am God and I will fulfill my word perfectly. And it has been determined by the will of the Father that I pay for the sins of the world in this way. So I will go away as it's been determined. I will fulfill the mission that God gave me. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And in this we get the divine tension between God's sovereignty And human freedom, that you and I, we are still responsible for our actions just as Judas was for his. And yet at the same time, God had planned and purposed for Jesus to be betrayed and killed. Why? Because our sins needed to be atoned for. And so in this one meal, we find so many layers that we could go on for hours and hours exploring the connections. But at this one family meal, We find our sense of identity. We find the story that defines every single one of us. And it's why this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So wherever you're at in your seat, I want you to find your elements. If you don't have them, if you didn't grab them on the way in, wave your hand. I think we have some deacons who can bring those to you. Anybody not get those? All right. And what I want you to do very carefully is I want you to peel off that cellophane on the top. And I want you to hold this bread in your hand. You may need to put your feet on the floor, kind of put yourself in that posture of prayer. But as we get ready to enter this season, as we prepare to enter, next week is Palm Sunday, and then Holy Week, and then Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday. It is so important for us to remember the Last Supper I prefer to call it the First Supper, the First Supper of the new covenant, of the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus. Because in this moment, Jesus knew exactly what it was going to cost him to pay the penalty that you and I so rightly deserved. So this morning, would you bow your heads with me? Would you settle your hearts? And as you hold this piece of bread in your hands, as simple as it may seem, Jesus gave us this, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And you know, in our culture, in the Western culture, when we say we remember something, we recall something from the past. But to the Jewish people, to Middle Eastern people, when they remember something, when Jesus used that phrase, do this in remembrance of me, it meant we remember, we recall what happened in the past, but we are participating in it in the present. And it is alive in the here and now. And so in this moment, would we confess our sins? Would the body of Jesus given for us be alive and relevant for us in this moment? Recognizing that you and I were cut off and separated from God by our sin. Recognizing the fact that our greatest need we could never achieve being holy, being perfect, being good enough to get to God on our own. And so God came to us in the flesh, a flesh that would be mutilated, that would be beaten, that would be betrayed, that would bear in itself the wounds, the suffering that you and I deserve for our sin. And yet Jesus, who never sinned, took that upon himself for you and for me. So this bread that you're holding represents the body of Jesus given for you. Take now and eat. Now take the cup and carefully peel back that foil lid this morning. I want you to think about those cups that I put before you on the screen. Again, this cup, fruit of the vine, seems so simple. And yet at the same time, it is so full of biblical depth that all of the promises that God fulfilled in leading his people out of Egypt and into freedom, God fulfilled spiritually in Jesus' blood that was shed for you and me. So this morning, whatever your sin, whatever you need to confess to him, whatever you're harboring in your heart, know this, the only remedy is the blood of Jesus that was shed for you that covers your sin. Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him. Again, participating in the here and now, knowing that your forgiveness is for this moment and all moments. Not in what we've done, but what in, in what he's done. So take this cup and drink it this morning. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you. We're eternally grateful for what you have done on our behalf that we could never do. We're so grateful for the price that was paid and the reality that there on the cross, You suffered and bled and died for us. And the Last Supper shows us that you knew exactly where you were going. You knew exactly what was to come. And yet your love was so great that you did it anyway. What great love is this? So Father, may we be reminded this morning of your great mercy and your grace and your hope and love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship together.